Good to see you guys. Uh, welcome to Everyday Church. Good to be together as a family. And uh, today's Mother's Day, and God brought out the nice, cold, rainy weather to, you know, make us all want to get outside. This is really just nap weather. I was talking to somebody earlier about this afternoon might be nap time. So, all right. So uh, this past week, actually Thursday morning, I was um, chatting with a friend of mine from back in Ohio, a guy, Mike Sipples, his name. <clears throat> We've worked together since 2004, so um, got to be good friends and uh, just years of working together. And we spend a, a little bit of time on the phone every week and uh, work on different projects and that sort of thing together. So we were chatting, and Mike is turning 70 this year, which I was kind of like, wow, 70. That's a big, you know, big number. And uh, he was just talking a little bit about how crazy it is turning 70, getting to this age. And then he started talking about all the changes that happen in your body um, between the age in my 40s and him in his 70s. And I don't know if he was like trying to prep me for what was coming or what, but he was like, yeah, the changes that happen in your body are kind of crazy. He was like, I'll just describe the ones from your shoulders up. So I was like, okay, that's, a, that's okay. So he was like, yeah, I didn't used to have jaw issues when I was younger. Now I have all kinds of jaw issues. My hair it's like used to be not any gray. Now it's totally gray. And he's like, and speaking of hair, hair starts growing out of your nose and your ears like crazy. And I was just like, ah, <laughs> the things to look forward to of getting older and uh, getting growing to be 70. Um, but most of the conversation so it was a little bit about just sort of the physical realities of getting older and limitations and that sort of thing. But most of our conversation was about um, change in perspective as you get older. Um, how we view the world, how important um, certain things are and things we thought were really important aren't as important anymore. The people that are a part of our lives over the course of the years and as he's approaching 70, kind of reflecting back on all of that stuff. Now, I've known Mike for 15 years. We started working together in 2004 and quickly became family. And um, so I've known him for 15 years. And I think I would say, as I was as listening to him and kind of reflecting uh, I think I would say this guy was probably, um, in terms of people that I've kind of known in my life, maybe the most committed to learning and growing as, uh, as a human through all of um, his life. And uh, particularly, he has done more and a better job of collecting mentors than anyone I've ever known. So he just has surrounded himself with men and women of wisdom and character and just so many qualities of these people that he has called on to be uh, and become mentors in the course of his life. And those folks, some, many of them a little bit ahead of him in his life, sharing their wisdom and their experience. And then I get to sort of receive that through him as he shares their stories and what he's learned. And I mentioned that fact to him, that he, I see him as such an incredible learner and somebody who's done such an amazing job um, collecting mentors and having mentors in his life. And he made the comment, it wasn't always that way. And he started talking about a time in his early 30s. He said, he, he said I don't think I even owned a book. I, I didn't have any mentors or people in my life that were sort of speaking truth to me or sharing words of wisdom with me. He said, I listened to a lot of music, but I didn't really learn or listen from to people at all, which was really hard for me to imagine knowing him now at this stage in his life. So he mentioned that sometime in his mid, somewhere in the mid 30s, his mid 30s, um, that he was at an event, he was listening to a prominent business uh, leader and speaker at the time, 
and that that individual had said something along these lines. I'm kind of paraphrasing his, him paraphrasing this person, but he said something along these lines. Five years from now, you're going to be the same person you are today, except for who you've listened to, who you've learned from, who you've surrounded yourself with, and the way in which those people have spoken into your life and helped you understand and become more self-aware. So there was a time in Mike's life where he wasn't learning from anyone, and no one was really speaking words of life in, uh, into his experience, at least not in an intentional sort of, uh, sort of way. So it got me thinking as I was listening to him, so this was just a few days ago, I was listening to him and processing through what he was saying and reflecting back on what Wendy shared with us last week and about this teaching series that we're getting into. So we're looking at the letter of James, so it's a letter that James, the brother of Jesus, uh, wrote to Christians who, uh, Jewish Christians, who had been scattered because, largely because of persecution. And so James is looking around at these, uh, these Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus, who had been scattered all over the known world and wanted in some way to share some wisdom with them. So these are people who were experiencing all different sorts of social and political oppression, people who didn't um, fit in who, with mainstream society, uh, who weren't really accepted by uh, the people around them and the communities around them. It was at a time when faith in Jesus was very new. So this idea of following Jesus and who Jesus was, it was very early following Jesus' life. They didn't have uh, hundreds of years of uh, Christianity to sort of reflect on and learn from the way we do. They didn't have very many wise, old Jesus followers to look at their lives and listen and learn um, from. They didn't have uh, access to all the sorts of information and books that we have. We have so much access to books and knowledge and information. Books weren't a thing. There were scrolls here and there, but they didn't have access generally to most of that stuff. They didn't even have a Bible the way we understand the sort of Bible compiled for us. They didn't have a Bible to reflect on and to dig into and to process through. So it's hard for us to imagine a time like that, so short on information and trying to figure out what does it look like to live in any sort of way um, without access to all the information that we are accustomed to. So uh, I suspect, like Mike, my 70-year-old mentor and friend, that we all kind of have times like that. Even though we have access, access to information, we all have times in our life where we don't really have people speaking words of life and encouragement to us. We could use some wise counsel. So Wendy talked about the way that uh, James introduced his letter, that he's, these friends that he's writing to. And in the first few lines of his letter, James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault. So Wendy talked about um, the letter of James essentially as a letter full of wisdom that uh, James, the brother of Jesus, this man who journeyed with Jesus and lived through, um, through the early years of the church, the wisdom that he um, wanted to share with us, that James was a guy who grew up with Jesus, but didn't initially believe in who Jesus was and who Jesus said he was, eventually recognizing Jesus to be the Son of God and dedicating his life to Jesus and to leading the early church. And so Wendy spoke of James' life, and I could just imagine James looking at 
uh, his brothers and sisters, he refers to us constantly as brothers and sisters, his brothers and sisters who were scattered over the known world, being uh, persecuted, suffering both the just normal challenges of life that we experience and struggle with, but also the unique challenges of following Jesus in their moment, in their time, in their experience. And he sees them and he longs to share wisdom um, with them to encourage them to share what he'd learned from Jesus, what he'd learned in his own life, uh, probably some things that he'd learned from others, from mentors in his, uh, in his life, uh, lessons that he'd learned from making his own mistakes, from uh, living through the difficult things in his own life. And so James came to see God as a source of wisdom, as a, play, as a father who longs to share that wisdom with his children. And so he, James says, ask God. He gives generously without finding fault. So we have decided to approach uh, the letter of James in this series that we're working through um, thematically. So each week we're going to focus on a different theme that we see weaved throughout, uh, in and out of James' letter. And today we're going to be looking at what James has to say about our words, about how we speak to ourselves, how we speak to others, how we speak about other people uh, as, we, as we share and as we interact and as we use our words. So, uh, so that's kind of the focus today, and we'll get into different pieces of that as we progress here. So I don't know if you've spent much time with the book of James. I find the book of James to be kind of unique among, uh, certainly among uh, Christian scripture, New Testament scripture. Uh, James is not particularly difficult to understand. Uh, I generally kind of have an idea of what he's, there's occasions where I'm trying to figure out what he's saying, but generally I kind of get the gist of what he's saying. The problem with James is actually living it out. It's not understanding it. And there's lots of times in our life where we're like, oh, I get what you're saying. I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> like, that sounds great, but I don't know what to do with that. I can't possibly figure out how to live that out in my life. And James is sort of like that. His letter is those, th you kind of nod your head and you're like, yeah, wow, okay, that sounds wise. I don't know. <laughs> like, how am I going to actually do that stuff in my life? So, uh, so I'm, I'm excited for us to be looking at the different elements and themes that we see that are weaved um, through, uh, through James and, and kind of what we're going to look at today as well in the way we all use our words. Uh, so we all have a lot to learn about how to do that in healthy, loving ways. So before we jump into uh, what James has to say about our words, I want to I want to reiterate a couple of things that I think Wendy wisely shared with us last week. Um, for, uh, because I feel like for us to really get value out of James' wisdom and teaching, we need to approach it in a way that understands some foundational thinking that he holds as he's, uh, as he's writing this letter. So what is really underneath it all that's in his heart? Uh, if we can begin to understand that, then his words will make even more sense to us and we'll be able to gain even more uh, wisdom from him. So there were two things that Wendy talked about last week that I just want to uh, reiterate a little bit and highlight. So she talked about this concept of teleos, uh, which is probably not how you pronounce it at all. It's a Greek word. I don't speak Greek. So, uh, but this word, uh, teleos, that she talked about. So we find in Scripture, in a lot of different places, in fact, uh, and a lot in James' writing, this concept of teleos, which is uh, frequently translated by the word with the word perfect. Um, so there's a time where Jesus said, be teleos as God, 
uh, is teleos. I'm sure it was exactly spoken that way. So, be, yeah, he, he mixed English and, and Greek um, easily. So, be teleos as God is teleos, Jesus says. That oftentimes is translated as be perfect as God is perfect. That's oftentimes how translations will translate the word teleos in that occasion, twice in that uh, occasion. And so it's very easy if we're looking at Scripture and we're seeing these uh, words that are represented um, imperfectly with a, a word like perfect and all the ways that we think of that, to, uh, to, to, we're tempted to see that and think maybe what God expects of me is to be perfect. That what he's looking for is for me to pursue perfection, to live my life without mistake, without error, doing nothing bad or wrong, that that's what he's looking at. But that's not really the concept of teleos at all. That's a very small uh, part of it and really diminishes the truth of the whole um, concept of teleos. So Wendy talked a lot about this. If you didn't um, catch the message last week, I'd really recommend that you check, check it out on the website. Um, the truer understanding of this word teleos is this idea of wholeness, to be whole, to be complete. So God is whole. God is complete. God is the same on the inside and the outside. That God is consistent through and through. Be whole as God is whole, Jesus says. So James, listening to Jesus and learning from Jesus talk about this idea of wholeness, he understood that Jesus was encouraging us to, towards a pursuit of wholeness. That this is something that God is and longs for us uh, to be. And so this idea of moving from brokenness and fragmentedness to a sense of wholeness uh, within ourselves. And that the call of Jesus is to bring that wholeness, to offer that wholeness to the people around us. So in fact, that is the good news that Jesus brought into the world, that God has made wholeness and restoration available to us through Jesus and through his kingdom and the work of his kingdom, and that we get to join in that work and join in that um, bringing wholeness to the world. So as we study James, and when you move into and you're listening to what James has to say, it's really important that we hold on to this foundational idea that he has, that our goal, our pursuit is wholeness and completeness and restoration. This shalom concept, teleos, as he uses the word. So that's the foundation of what James is teaching, and it's the starting point of his letter. If you lack anything, he says in the first few lines, if you lack anything, if you're not whole, if you're not complete, ask God who is whole and longs for you to be whole and gives generously to us without finding um, fault. This God who desires wholeness and shalom and teleos for his children. Okay, so that's the first thing to kind of hold on, and we'll bring that up at different points during this series to remind ourselves our goal is not to check all the boxes and be perfect. The goal is to pursue wholeness in our, in our lives. So the second thing that we need to, I think, hold closely to as we read through James and as we uh, approach the concept of how we use our words, really important for us to kind of catch on to this, is uh, what we'll also, we'll often use the language, so our vertical faith, the vertical aspect of our faith, and the horizontal aspect of our faith. Uh, that's a language you'll hear us throw out at different times, and Wendy touched on this um, last week. When we're looking at scripture, when we're looking at the teaching of Jesus, uh, we see this vertical stuff and this horizontal stuff, and it's really important for us to get our um, our minds around this. So oftentimes when people are teaching about Jesus, about being a Christian or having a relationship with God, they're emphasizing the relationship with God component. 
the, they're thinking of um, the things that relate to me and God, so this vertical sort of thing. What's going on in my relationship with God between me and between um, God? The things that relate to this up and down, me and God sort of thing. And when we look in Scripture, we find all sorts of important stuff about our relationship with God. So it's understandable that this is really an important part of our faith. God loves me. God has forgiven me. God uh, is gracious towards me. God uh, blesses me. God um, is generous in his relationship with me. I worship God. I pray to God. I talk to God about what's going on in my life, about how I feel. So there's this back and forth stuff, this vertical element to my faith and my relationship with God. Really important and critical in scripture that we get that. But oftentimes, that's as far as folks will go with their faith. That my faith is about my relationship between me and God, and that's the full extent of the nature of our faith. Uh, that's the realm, sort of the full realm of where their faith language and processing um, happens, me and God. But scripture is equally filled with the horizontal aspect of, uh, of our faith, the you and me, the me and others sort of stuff, this horizontal level uh, of humanity and the relationship between us. And I'd suggest to you that as you process through uh, scripture, teach the teaching of Jesus and the different letters that we find in the New Testament, that you will see that there is equal emphasis, maybe even more, put on this horizontal sort of component of our faith and our life, that we are loved by God, so love others. We're forgiven, so forgive others. God has been merciful to us, so be merciful to others. Uh, God is generous with us, so live generous lives. Over and over we see both this vertical reality of our faith and relationship with God, but also the way that then look, li is lived out horizontally in our relationship with one another and the people um, around us. So this sort of full, complete expression of my faith includes both the vertical relationship with God, but also the horizontal, the me and you stuff, and um, us together as humans. Uh, that's a kind of complete gospel that Wendy was wrestling with and talking about last week. So in, uh, in his letter, James, uh, and this is a complaint that Wendy talked about this, this is a complaint that a lot of people have uh, about the letter written by James, that in his letter, James seems much more concerned about this horizontal aspect to our faith and to Christianity than he does about the vertical. It would seem that way. He puts an incredible amount of emphasis and spends most of his time talking about this horizontal reality of what it means to have faith and to follow Jesus. It's not that the vertical stuff isn't important to James. It's not that James doesn't care about that stuff. But remember who he's writing to, the way he addresses his letter. James is writing to men and women who already are following Jesus. Men and women who already have the vertical component in place. They get the God loves me and I'm forgiven thing. They've got that. So he doesn't spend a lot of time trying to establish that for them. He's focusing on what does that now mean for the way that we, uh, that we live our life. And he sees these folks as in very challenging situations and struggling to figure out, okay, I get God loves me, but what on earth do I do with that when it comes to the difficulty of my daily life and the world around me and the burden and the struggle of living my life for Jesus and following Jesus in this context. And so James sees them and is giving encouragement to this challenge of living our faith out in this horizontal, me and you, me and others and the people around me sort of, uh, sort of way. 
So if we hold on to this gospel of wholeness, that what God is pursuing is wholeness and giving us wholeness and spreading that wholeness to the others around us, if we get and hold on to that and how important our relationship is with one another, if we hold on to those two concepts that James understands and approaches his letter with, then I think we're positioned to receive a lot of wisdom from um, what, uh, what James uh, has to say. So here's how we're going to approach. I want to shift into talking about uh, words, our words, uh, and how we speak about and to one another. We're going to move into that. So what we're going to do is um, I have collected for you um, all of the different verses and things that James has to say about words. So I'm going to give you this sheet in a little bit, but if I give it to you now, you'll be done. You'll just learn from James and you won't listen to me. So... (laughs) Um, so I'm going to give you this in a little bit, but I'm going to read uh, the collection. Is going to go down through James and read the things that are directly related to words and what he has to say. You can wait, Wendy. Okay, all right. Um, and then, so I'm going to read down through this. Then we'll talk a little bit about some of the concepts and some of the things we discover that James is saying there. And then at the end, we're going to do something called a Lectio Divina, which um, don't worry about it. You don't have to know what that is. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So I want to, uh, to start out for you just reading what James collectively through his uh, letter has to say about words. So just relax and listen as, uh, as I read here. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what he says is perfect able to keep their entire body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape tree bear figs? Neither can salt spring, can a salt spring produce fresh water. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. 
When you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're sitting in judgment on it. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, for you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear oaths, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. So the first um, thing that really jumps out to me as I read through all of the letter of James, but also as I look at um, this reading and the things that he has to say about words, is um, how he consistently refers to us as dear brothers and sisters. It's kind of cool. He's writing a letter, dear brothers and sisters. Over and over he's saying that, dear brothers and sisters. It's as if he is setting a tone with those words a tone of care and concern for us, uh, for the people who would read this letter, uh, of love, really, of communicating that he loves us and is concerned about us and has this important stuff that he wants to share. And I appreciate that. Um, You don't always get that tone when you're reading in different places in Scripture. Um, But James, I feel like, is doing, he's telling us some challenging things, but also doing it in a way of saying, I love you. This is about our love for one another. I think that uh, it's clear as you're reading through James' letter that he understands that God has called us, that Jesus made it very clear that he has called us to love God and to love one another well, that that's our pursuit as uh, as his family, to love one another well, to love God um, well. It's why for Everyday Church that um, we spend a lot of time processing. I don't know about you, for most of us, loving well is not something that just happens naturally for us. It's something that we have to put a lot of energy into and learning and growing in our ability to love one another well. And so as a church, we've just said, hey, this is what God wants us to do. We all need some help with this. And so we spend a lot of time investing in what does it look like to love others well. And it's interesting that a lot of that focus is on becoming good listeners, learning how to speak wisely and appropriately and healthy in our relationship with one another, that so much of loving one another well is how we listen and how we use our words as we interact. And so James starts out, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, catch this, please catch this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Those who consider themselves religious, he says, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So probably every time I read that last phrase, their religion is worthless, I'm like, okay, hold on a second. That doesn't sound gentle to me. Um, but let, take, it, take it for a moment uh, and just kind of break down a little bit of what he's saying there. They're religious. Anyone who considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. The word worthless, if we just focus on that word, this idea of not worth anything, it doesn't have any value, it's not effective, it's not beneficial. That makes sense to me. When I think of this idea of holding myself as religious but not controlling my tongue, but using my words in a way that hurt people, then my religion, my faith loses value. It becomes unbeneficial to the people around me. And that is not at all what our faith is intended to be, this pursuit of bringing wholeness to the world. If my words are not bringing wholeness, then this whole thing I'm about isn't really worth all that much. And when I read it that way, I'm like, okay, convicted, 
and a reality that, like, I get what he's saying. Because I think we have all experienced that in our life. We've experienced looking around at religious people who function in a way that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of good or a lot of value coming out of what they're doing and what they believe. That, that their way of functioning isn't really that beneficial to the world around them. And I get it, I see it. And then I take a moment to reflect on myself, which is helpful to do now and then. Uh, and if I'm honest, when I don't guard my tongue, when I don't work really hard at how I speak and the way I interact with others, then my words don't lift other people up. In fact, I begin to hurt and tear people down because of my careless words. I don't love very well. In fact, I love poorly when I'm not really working and aware of my words. And I think that James uh, and all of Scripture really want us to hold on to that reality, to keep that in mind, that when it comes to how we use our words and how we live our lives, we all mess up. We're all hurting the people around us and functioning in unhealthy ways, falling short of God's standard of kindness and God's way of loving, of deeply loving others. And I think God wants us to hold that in mind, but simultaneously to remember that he's forgiven us and set us free from that stuff. That vertical stuff that we talked about is really important, that God has forgiven me. Because of Jesus, I'm okay with God, and God is okay with me, that I hold those two realities, that I mess up and that I'm broken and I hurt the people around me, but I am also forgiven and loved and cared for and set, um, set free. So one way that um, James reminds us of this truth, this sort of paradox in our own life, is uh, by talking about judgment. And so you'll run into the word judge, to be judged um, as you're going through James, and even in the stuff that we're reading about our words. And uh, it's important to spend a moment and kind of chat about that uh, uh, before we kind of move on. So when James is talking about judging, he's using that in a couple of different ways. One is the way we judge one another, the way we interact and, and um, look at one another and judge one another's behavior. And sometimes he's talking about God judging us. So sometimes when he's talking about judging, it's pretty clear, this idea of don't condemn, stop condemning one another, um, stop criticizing each other for um, the way we act and, and even the way that we fall short sometimes. Um, but other times when James is talking about judgment, it's a little bit less clear. So I want to look at um, what, we, what I read for you a moment ago from James chapter 2, verse 12, uh, because it's, it's, it's a fascinating um, statement from James. So James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So first off, you just have to recognize, and we'll talk about this, that there's a bit of an oxymoron or a paradox that, that James introduces in this phrase, which is important that we back up and remember wholeness and uh, these other things that James uh, is talking about. So let's take that statement a little bit at a time. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged. So if you were to stop right there and not read anything else from that point on, it's fairly clear and it's fairly scary. So this idea that somebody's watching, somebody's watching you, they're watching everything that you do, and they're going to call you out for it. You're going to be judged for everything that you do and everything that you say, clear and scary. I don't love that stopping right there, but let's keep going. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, he says. 
So James is a smart guy. He knows exactly who he's writing to. He is writing in this original, his, when his letter went out, he was writing to Jewish followers of Jesus. Jewish people who were very well aware of the Hebrew law, the law of God in Hebrew scripture. They were clear and raised to understand that God had a law and that we were going to be judged based on how well we kept that law. That we're all going to be compared to the law and will be judged on the basis of that. That was the understanding for Jewish people as they processed through this idea of following God and faith in God and the history of their people. That we are all lawbreakers. None of us can keep that law completely because it's intense. So we all fall short. We all are lawbreakers and fail to keep the law of God. So, so far, what James is saying here makes kind of sense. It's a little scary, but it makes some sense. But then he throws in some extra words. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. By the law that gives freedom. That's not our understanding, really, of law. I mean, there's a way of saying you've got judges in the room and other law people in the room that there is a degree to which, like, law creates an opportunity for freedom but in its essence, law doesn't create freedom. It restricts, it confines, it creates boundaries that we live inside. And we can say we have freedom inside of those boundaries, but we're living inside of this sort of fenced-in area that we've decided, someone has decided is safe for us to have freedom inside. The fewer the laws, actually, the more freedom that we have. If there's no law, then I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Maybe not good for humanity, but that's freedom. I am free. So what James is saying here is kind of confusing, this law that gives freedom. So what does James mean by this phrase? We're going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So James understands and names us all lawbreakers. We're all on the same page. We're all lawbreakers. We've fallen short of following God's sort of law and God's way. And James also knows us to be recipients of a new law the law of Jesus, an entirely different kind of law that works an entirely different way. It's not a law that condemns and finds guilty, but a law that sets free from guilt and free from condemnation. So the Apostle Paul says it uh, really beautifully in Romans 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit has set you free. So look again at what James says. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act as those who have been set free. Set free. What are you going to do with your freedom is really what James is challenging us with here. How are you going to use your freedom? Are you going to use it for good to build other people up or continue to do harm with your behavior and harm with your words? How will we use our freedom? How will, we, how will that freedom shape the way that we use our words, that we speak to one another and speak about one another? So to help us get our uh, minds around all this stuff, so James is talking about a lot of different things here, and he wants us to get really latch on to this idea of the tongue and our words. And so he uses some like 
um, some analogies, some little stories, uh, some picture painting that he does here to give us some ideas and ways to engage our imagination and get our minds around um, all this stuff about words. So, uh, so James says the tongue is a tiny part of the body, um, and yet it has so much power, such a massive effect on the world. And we can think about words and speakers and moments throughout history where words have really shaped the course uh, of time and the way people are treated and received in the world. And so James says it's kind of like a horse. Uh, it's kind of like a ship in the water. It's kind of like a tiny spark, um, a forest that starts a forest fire. So when I hear James' little stories here, and you're going to have some time to read these again in a little bit, uh, when I hear these stories, it stirs all kinds of different memories in my life. One memory that it stirred uh, was of this horse that we had when I was a kid. Uh, we had a horse named Babe, and I loved this horse, but she scared me out of my mind. She was, I was scrawny, and she was ginormous, and like had a will of her own, wanted to do our thing, her own thing. You couldn't like, you can't like, like physically encourage a horse to do what you want very easily. Like they're just, they weigh like 2,000 pounds or whatever. They're, they're enormous. So we have this horse. I love this horse. I would spend time sitting on the fence and just kind of watching this horse. But I was, I was afraid of this horse. Um, I didn't understand really, and I didn't really trust this whole little bit thing that you put in the horse's mouth. And humans have been doing this for thousands of years, putting this thing in, their, in a horse's mouth, and somehow the horse is like, okay, now I'll do whatever you want. And so my dad could get on that horse and just take it where he wanted, and the horse was like, just did what he wanted him to do. And I just, I'm like, yeah, but that thing's tiny. Can it really, like, steer this giant beast around and get it under control? And so these, you know, when I read James, I'm like, oh, babe, what? The tongue is like the bit and the horse, you know? So then another memory, um, this one was a little more, a little more, even more frightening, actually. Um, so my brother, we were out in Seattle a couple of years ago, and uh, my brother has this huge boat. Uh, he lives out in Seattle, and there's all kinds of old boats that people decided, like, wow, I bought a boat, and I can't afford it, so I'll have to sell it really cheap. So he got this giant boat. It's like uh, 70 feet long or something, double-decker, like cabin and bathroom and all this stuff. O old. So it's not, you know, it's an old boat. But... Um, so we were out when we were there a few years ago. We're out on this boat, and we're kind of cruising around or whatever. And we come back into the bay, and uh, my brother jumps off kind of onto the pier, and he's going to, like, tie the boat in once, once I get it into position. The problem is, I, I mean, I, I've steered some boats, but this thing is big, and I could not, for the life of me, get that boat where it needed to go. And I'm afraid, like, I'm going to smash into that yacht over there that costs 100 times as much as this boat, and I'm going to smash the pier. Or I've got, so Wendy and the girls are on there, my brother and his kids and all their foster kids. Like, there's a crowd of 15 people on the boat, and, like, I'm going to sink this boat. And I'm just frightened of this. And I come to realize that there, something was broken. But I was up on the roof with the steering wheel. And something was broken between the steering wheel and the rudder under the boat. So this tiny little thing that helps the boat go where it's going. And the steering, it was not doing what I told it to do. Like, I turned this way, and it wasn't doing it. So it was kind of terrible. But we made it and survived, and it was tense and all that. But, uh, but I was like, oh, yeah, rudder. The tongue is like a rudder of a ship. I can remember that reality. So you guys also know that uh, many of you know that I love the outdoors. Uh, I particularly love wilderness areas, so getting in places where there's like nobody, there's like nothing around, no people, uh, no structures, not, you're just out in the middle of the beautiful wilderness. 
So I love that, and I love the moment where the sun starts to go down, it starts to get dark, stars come out, uh, and you're kind of in these woods, darkness around, you can hear animals and things scurrying and stuff, and you start a little fire, and the crackling of that fire and the, and the quiet, and the light reflecting off of the leaves and the canopy above you and all of that. I love that. Every time I start one of those fires, it goes through my mind. All the articles I've read, the stories I've read, the movies I've watched of forest fires, of fires that were started by a little campfire like that that raged through and destroyed all this beautiful land and left devastation and burned towns and killed people and killed animals. And I'm thinking, like, I'm lighting this fire in this wilderness, and that is possible with these little sparks if they don't go well. And James says the tongue is a lot like those things. It seems tiny and weak, and yet it has the power to heal and destroy, to lift up and to tear down, to express love and kindness, and to make my faith worthless. That is the power of the tongue and our words. We all know it. We've experienced it. We have been lifted up and encouraged by people's words. We have haunting words that are lodged inside of us from earlier in our life that have never left us, things that have shaped who we are and our perception of ourselves and our perception of the world around us. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. So last week, uh, Wendy talked, uh, she walked us through James' early life. She spoke of a period in James' life, so this guy who grew up with Jesus, a period in James' life where he didn't believe who Jesus was. He didn't believe what Jesus was saying or that he was anything um, special. Even though he grew up with him and he, he witnessed the things that Jesus had done and the way, the miracles and the love and the teaching and all of the stuff he witnessed in Jesus, and yet still he didn't believe for many years. Eventually, at some point, James came to believe in Jesus, even to lead the church and the kingdom that Jesus had set in motion with his life. But I wonder, as I read James and I read these words, I wonder if James remembers harsh words that he spoke to Jesus. I wonder if he remembers criticism and mocking and ridicule and humiliation when he writes his letter, Dear Brothers and Sisters, if he was remembering his own harmful words from his life. So for the next few minutes, uh, we are going to do end with uh, Lectio Divina. So Lectio Divina just means a divine reading. It's uh, a very ancient practice of reflecting on scripture. So you guys want to hand out the sheets? So it's a way of reflecting on uh, things that we discover and read in scripture uh, to give ourselves a moment to, um, to hear from God, to allow God to speak to us through the words uh, in scripture. So the process is pretty simple. So I am going to read through the reading that I read earlier. And then I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to, and so the first round when I read through this, just uh, look through, look at the words, and what you're looking for are things that jump out to you. So something stirs inside of you. You have a feeling about certain words or phrases that you discover as, uh, as we're reading. So the first, the first go round, you're just going to underline or highlight uh, or notice words that jump out to you. Uh, and then uh, after a couple of minutes, I'll read again. And then the second time after I read, just encourage you to spend some time 
uh, asking yourself, what does is, what is maybe God want me to take away from this? What is he maybe challenging me with in these words? What does he want me to focus on as uh, I leave here with these, uh, with these words? So let me read um, the scripture reading for us again, and you guys can follow along with me as I read. <clears throat> My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow brother, believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what he says or what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, take or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law, judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, you're sitting in judgment on it. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear oaths, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. So take a couple minutes and just look for things that jump out to you, that stir inside of you. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged even more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their entire body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, 
Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father, and we, with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape tree, grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it. You're sitting in judgment on it. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear oaths, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. So take a moment and just listen to maybe what God is saying, what he is encouraging you to hold on to and to focus on in uh, the coming weeks. <laughs> 